Let me begin by telling you a story of a professor who enters a classroom filled with a bunch of lazy students. In order to motivate them, the professor announced to the students, I would like to give a cash award to the most lazy student in this class. May I know who is the most lazy person in this class? Raise your hand and tell me how lazy you are. All the students in the class except one raise their hands with joy to prove themselves the laziest student. The professor was happy that one student wanted himself not to be identified as lazy. And the professor thought of using him as a model for the class. And so asked that student, why didn't you raise your hands? To which the student replied, Prof, I felt too lazy to raise my own hands to identify myself as lazy. The professor gave the cash award to that student. Imagine, too lazy to even raise your hands. This is a generation of men and women, young and old, who seem to me to be lazier and more unmotivated than the previous generations. Perhaps the comforts and convenience of modern technology and communications have made us more lazy. We no longer spell out words with their proper spelling. No one is willing to do well-rounded, thorough research on a subject they're unfamiliar with. If there isn't a YouTube video or Wikipedia article on the subject, then it isn't worth the trouble to research more. We simply don't have time to go to the library. And sadly, this lazy attitude has affected how we live out our lives with both practical and spiritual implications. Now let's explore what the book of Proverbs has to say about laziness to find the motivations and solutions to get us out of this lazy funk we may be in as we continue our sermon series, Foolproof, A Guide to Wise Living, studying the book of Proverbs. Let's begin by identifying three reasons for laziness. Turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 26 as we take a look at verses 13 to 16. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 13 to 16. I read now verse 13. The lazy man says, There is a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the streets. The first reason for our laziness or lazy attitude, as identified in this proverb, is because we have many excuses for that which we do not want to do. This proverb pictures a lazy person giving a rather lame excuse for why he does not want to go out to work or to venture outside. His excuse is that there's a fierce lion that roams the streets. Now, is this a valid reason or valid excuse? While there could be an actual lion that roamed the streets, in reality, the chances are remote that one would encounter that lion. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 13, it says the same thing and gives us greater insights into a lazy person's thought process. Proverbs 22, verse 13. The lazy man says... There is a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. Basically, he is using an irrational reason to justify why he is too lazy to go out and do work. I could meet a lion and be killed. In fact, we could all use the same reason today. A lion could escape from the zoo today, and I might happen to go outside and run into this lion and be killed, so I better not go out. My friends, with that logic that none of us should ever leave our homes because of the many dangers that lurk outside. We could catch a disease. We could meet a stray animal with rabies that could bite us. We could be run over by a car. A van could crash into us. The plane we're in could crash. A stray bullet could hit us. We could get heat exhaustion from exposure to the sun. 
We might be caught in a flash flood caused by torrential monsoonal rains and drowned. And the list goes on. You and I can think of a thousand and one reasons why we can't go to work or attend church on site or not do something we don't want to do. And those reasons are valid in our minds. But ironically, those same things don't stop us from doing what we want to do. For example, the same people who simply do not want to be bothered to make the effort to come to church on site for corporate worship, saying they may contract the COVID virus, are often the same individuals who do not bat an eye going on vacation, eating at indoor restaurants, or enjoying activities that have a greater risk of viral transmission. You see, at the end of the day, where there's a will, there's a way, and it all boils down to laziness and the uneven application of excuses to justify our slothfulness. Think about the many excuses you have for not wanting to do something. Now look at me at verses 14 and 15. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a lazy man on his bed. The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. Here we see our second reason for why we're lazy, and it is because we are unmotivated or lack motivation to do what needs to be done. The picture in verse 14 is of someone lazy who cannot seem to get himself out of bed. All he does is turn from one side to another in bed, just like a door turns on its hinges. The picture is quite vivid of someone just wanting to sleep, unwilling to get up out of bed. It's like my kids when I try to wake them up. If they're sleeping, for example, on their right side, and I try to shake them or turn on the lights to wake them up, what do they do instinctively? They roll 180 degrees to turn to their left side, facing away from me. I'm sure you can picture this in your mind. Apparently, the people of today were no different than the people of thousands of years ago in not wanting to get up out of bed. What is the motivation to get out of bed, especially when it's a rainy morning and the weather is cool and it's still dark outside? Only if there was a house fire or something of that cataclysmic magnitude would one find motivation to get out of bed on a rainy, cool Sunday morning with you all snuggled under a warm blanket. Look also at another visual picture painted in verse 15 of someone unmotivated to do anything. It's of a lazy man who cannot find the motivation to even move his hands from his dinner plate to his mouth. Can you imagine such a lazy person who can't even find the motivation to bring food to his mouth? Even lifting one's hands from plate to mouth is quote-unquote too much work. Now I admit I'm a lazy person when it comes to certain aspects of eating, like only eating shrimp when it is peeled for me by my wife or having the fruit cut before I will eat it. But my loving wife, Cindy, who needs to get rid of the shrimp or get me to eat my fruits, will peel my shrimp shell and cut my fruits. She isn't really spoiling me more than she needs to get rid of the food, so she does it for lazy me. However, I would think I would certainly be crossing the line if I asked her not only to peel my shrimps and cut my fruits, but also to feed me the shrimp and fruits into my mouth. And if she were to ask me why I couldn't do it myself, and my reply was, because I don't have the energy to lift my hands to put the food in my mouth, she may throw the food at me. But that is what is pictured here. 
of such laziness caused by a lack of motivation that one cannot even move his hands from the food plate to his mouth. Interestingly, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul taught in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, that if a Christian didn't have the motivation to work and refuse to do so, then he should not eat as well. My friends, if you aren't motivated to take care of yourself or to better yourself, then the Bible says you are lazy. Someone who is lazy is not one who cannot work, but someone who will not work. He will not do what he can do himself. I read now verse 16. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. This proverb gives us our third reason for why we're lazy, and it is that we have a feeling of sufficiency, a feeling of sufficiency. The lazy person has justified in his own mind his own laziness. He foolishly believes he has what he needs or he has done all he can and is convinced that he doesn't need to do any more. And even seven wiser people cannot convince him otherwise. A lazy person is one who does not live in reality. He doesn't want to make any efforts to learn or to self-improve. Lazy people believe that what they know at the present is enough. They don't have time to seek a second opinion or other perspectives because they know enough and seeking other expert advice takes up too much effort and is troublesome. This is a person who says, why do I need to do anything else when I know everything and I have everything? This feeling of sufficiency, devoid of reality, causes us to be lazy. And we all know people like this. People are so content, they won't put in the effort to work harder. Now, while contentment is a wonderful character trait for those who have much, contentment without attaining even the basics or meeting basic responsibilities is simply a sign of laziness. Imagine if a child who's in grade two declares, I know all that I need to know in life. I can add, I can subtract, I know my alphabets, and I can read. I no longer want to go to school and study. We would say that child has a false feeling of sufficiency because there is still much more basic life skill that child would need to learn before he or she is equipped for life and ready to stop formal education. Patrick Emanuel wrote about this matter, calling it the curse of contentment. He writes, according to Thomas Edison, the American inventor, scientist, and businessman, discontent is the first necessity of progress. It is a prerequisite to leading the life of your dreams. From a very young age, people have been told that contentment is great gain, and this has somehow been ingrained into our subconsciousness to always be satisfied with our current state. The problem with this philosophy is that children grow up with the belief that they can do very little or nothing when faced with life's problems and readily resign to fate or settle or what I call the good enough syndrome. This is a mentality that has caused a lot of people to live a mediocre life and should be confronted because it undermines our ability and weakens our resolve to turn around unfavorable situations. So people just sit back and accept things by getting complacent, comfortable, and contented. Now, putting it all together, we have our first biblical principle, overcoming laziness, number one. Our laziness often comes from our excuses lack of motivation, and feeling of sufficiency. Our laziness 
often comes from our excuses, lack of motivation, and feeling of sufficiency. It's important to identify the root causes of laziness in order to overcome them. Now, let's see what the book of Proverbs has to say about how we overcome and address these root causes of laziness. Turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 to 34. Proverbs 24, verses 30 to 34. I read now verses 30 to 34. I went by the field of the lazy man, and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. These verses paint a picture of a lazy man who has not cared for his vineyard and field. It is overgrown with weeds, thorns, and structures are in disrepair. It has become useless, not producing the fruits and bountiful harvest that should naturally come when one takes proper care of the land. The observer sees the sad state of this land, and he makes an assessment in verses 33 to 34. He states that the lazy person is sleeping and resting when he should be working, and that results in his poverty, who should not be a surprise to anyone, but it is a surprise for the lazy man. What did he think would happen if he did nothing? He has forgotten something very important. When you do nothing, nothing happens. When you do nothing, nothing happens. It is a simple case of cause and effect that is being illustrated. If you don't do anything, then nothing will happen. And this simple principle is something many of us have forgotten. We assume in our entitled generation that if we don't do it, others will and must do it for us or be obliged to help us. Or at the very least, God will come to the rescue when we're lazy. But this is furthest from the truth. The Bible teaches that in most cases, when we don't do anything, that we will suffer the consequences of our inaction. And the consequences of inaction should not be a surprise to us. Look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. Proverbs 20, verse 4 says this, The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Here pictured is a lazy man whose excuse is that it is winter time and it is too cold, so he will not put in the hard work to plow, till, and prepare his field for harvest. But when harvest time comes, he has nothing and will have to resort to begging from his hardworking neighbors for food. This is the natural consequences of not doing anything. Notice how the Bible does not speak of the obligations of others to help a lazy person, but puts the full weight of the blame on this lazy man. My friends, we reap what we sow. Don't expect people to help you if you're lazy, and they have no obligation to do so. In fact, I would warn those of us who are hardworking not to help those who are simply lazy, for them to fully understand the consequences of their inaction. This includes family and friends. As a student, do you get annoyed when a classmate asks you for help or asks for your notes when you know full well they've not paid attention, they've just played around, they didn't try to take notes or made any efforts to learn? 
You may help them, but you will grumble inside doing so. Perhaps the next time, tell them, for your own good, maybe it's better if you try to do it first. Show me the notes you've taken. Show me what you've done, and then I can help you. Listen, my friends, you don't have to feel bad not helping lazy people. You don't have to feel bad not helping lazy people. Help those who have made an effort to at least try to work hard, but circumstances push them back. But there is no need to give handouts to those who are simply lazy and do nothing. We need to stop helping and enabling lazy people and always coming to the rescue for their own good so they can face the consequences of their inaction. Now, going back to verses 33 and 34 in Proverbs chapter 24, I want you to notice the possessive pronouns, your poverty and your need, because you folded your hands to rest and sleep. Again, the emphasis is this is your problem if you're lazy. We overcome our personal excuses when we understand that there are personal consequences to our inactions. It is our problem and no one else's. Parents, it's important to have your children learn this lesson of personal responsibility so they own up to the consequences of their own actions or inactions. I remember once when one of my children overslept and didn't wake up to the sound of their alarm, having snoozed the alarm and went back to sleep. Guess what? When that child woke up and was late, they got mad at us parents for not waking them up and making sure they were ready for school. I told that child of mine, excuse me, it's not my responsibility to wake you up. You're in high school. It is your responsibility to wake up on time. Perhaps you need to go to bed earlier. Perhaps you need to have more alarm clocks. Perhaps you need to put those alarm clocks far away from you so it forces you to get up and walk over to turn it off. And by doing so, you're now awake. But you don't have anyone to blame but yourself. Why was this my response and reaction? Because when they get older and are of working age, are they still going to blame their parents for not waking up on time? Are they going to blame their parents if they're late for work or they miss the airplane or they miss the train? Of course not. That would be ridiculous. And yet so many today, without a sense of personal responsibility, continue to blame others for what is their own problems. Nowadays, the word adult is used as a verb, adulting. This is the term millennials use to celebrate their achievements for doing mundane tasks or acquiring domestic life skills. For example, when you cook your own meal, you are adulting. When you book an appointment yourself, you are adulting. When you wash your own clothes, you are adulting. According to one survey of 2,000 millennials, these are the top 10 signs of adulting in a list of 40 things. Number one, having a steady job. Number two, being financially independent. Number three, paying a bill on your own. Number four, paying rent or mortgage on your own. Number five, paying for your car on your own, including gas, repairs, and monthly payments. Number six, budgeting for monthly expenses. Number seven, filing taxes. Number eight, cooking your own meals. Number nine, moving out of the family home. Number 10, being on time for work. Doing your own laundry ranked 14. Doing the dishes regularly was 15. And booking your own appointments was ranked 16. 
Now, if you have boomers or older Gen Xers read this list, they will just roll their eyes because these are not things for them to celebrate. These are essential life skills and normal things people do out of a sense of personal responsibility. Times have certainly changed. And yet, because of coddling parents, unable to have their children accept the consequences of their inaction and take up personal responsibilities to reap what they sow, always coming to the rescue, we have 30-year-old, immature, lazy children without a job, still dependent upon parents. Now, putting it all together, we have our second biblical principle, overcoming laziness, number two. We overcome our excuses by understanding the personal consequences of inaction. We overcome our excuses by understanding the personal consequences of inaction. Since we have so many excuses for our laziness and not wanting to do what we need to do, that we have to understand that nothing happens when we do nothing, and there are serious consequences that we would have to face with no one to blame but ourselves. If all you want to do is sleep all day and not get a job, then unless you have lots of money saved up, you will be poor and have many needs. If you don't study because you just want to play games all day or sleep, then you will fail. Spiritually, if you have lots of reasons for why you don't share the gospel with your friends and family members because you're frankly lazy, then you will miss out on seeing them come to know the Lord. Yes, conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit, and it is their choice to accept or reject Jesus but it is your responsibility to do the work of the Great Commission and tell people about Jesus Christ. If we don't seek out godly advice, we may fall into pitfalls. If we don't cultivate a consistent walk with Jesus Christ, then we will fall into sin and temptation. If we don't put in the time to practice the spiritual disciplines, then we will not be firm in our faith. Think about all the spiritual things we are called to do in the Scriptures. But if we don't do it, then we suffer the consequences of our inaction and miss out on all of the blessings from the Lord. We must remember the terrible consequences of our inaction so we can overcome the many excuses for our laziness. Now turn with me to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11, to see how we can overcome our lack of motivation. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. I read now verses 6 to 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. These verses tell lazy people to observe the industrious ant, which works hard preparing food for their colony without a boss or a captain ant overseeing the process. They simply do the work without having to be told what to do and forced to do it because they understand the importance and urgency to collect food, or else they and the colony dies. Similarly, a man shouldn't have to wait to be told to do something. When they recognize the need for them to do it, they should just do it. For example, if you need to wear a particular shirt in a few days for an event, and it's in the laundry hamper, you'll be motivated to wash your clothes now to make sure it is clean and dry to wear on the day you need it. You may not want to wash the clothes now, but because there's an urgency, you need it, you will do it. You now have motivation to wash your clothes. Or when you're hungry and you need to eat, you overcome your laziness to cook by forcing yourself 
to prepare something to eat or putting in the effort to order something on grab food so that you will not be hungry. Our motivation to get up and go to work when we don't want to is because we don't want to get fired. Our motivation to study is so that we don't fail our tests and risk being retained another year. When we recognize the importance and urgent need to do something, we overcome our lack of motivation and laziness. Look at what verses 9 to 11 say. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep? So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. These verses almost exactly echo what we read in Proverbs chapter 24. But here the question is posed, how long will you sleep and when will you get up from your sleep? And the response is a picture of procrastination and laziness. Just a little more sleep, just a little more rest. We still have lots of time to do the other stuff, but right now I don't see the urgent need to get up out of bed. I can and want to sleep more. If you're a student, I don't know if this resonates with you. It's Friday afternoon, and you have a project due on Monday. It is doable if you spend three to four hours of your undivided time and attention to work on finishing this project. You could actually finish it Friday evening, but you feel it's been a long week of school and you deserve the break. So you're just going to relax and chill Friday night and watch some Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Amazon Prime, or HBO Max. Plus, there's always Saturday morning to do it. Saturday morning rolls around, and you want to sleep in because it's the only day of the week you can sleep in. And you sleep in until around noon because you were up so late the previous night. You have a nice relaxing lunch, and you think you can work on your project all Saturday afternoon. But then your family decides to go to the mall and gives you the option to stay or to go with them. You think, there's always Saturday evening, and I don't want to miss out on the fun. And so you go to the mall with them. And of course, you have dinner outside with your family. When you get home, you realize you need to catch up on social media. And so you watch a few reels and look at a few stories. But before you know it, two hours have passed, and you're now tired and sleepy. Sunday morning is church time, and Sunday lunch is your regular family meal time with your extended family and your grandparents. Sunday afternoon, you're so sleepy because it's raining and nothing beats a great Sunday afternoon nap. When you wake up, you have dinner, and it's now 7 p.m., and you realize you have to cram until midnight to get this project done, muttering all along that you don't have time and your teacher is at fault for giving you such a long assignment over the weekend. But now you're motivated and buckle down and do the assignment. You'll even forgo sleep to finish this project because it is due first thing Monday morning. You now have found the motivation to overcome your laziness. Students, does that sound like you every weekend during the school year? Adults, does this sound familiar that you put off doing something you simply don't want to do but need to do? Proverbs tells us that motivation to do something comes when there is a great need or urgency. Now putting it all together, we draw out our third biblical principle, overcoming laziness number three. We overcome a lack of motivation by recognizing the importance and urgency of doing it now. We overcome a lack of motivation by recognizing the importance and urgency 
of doing it now. When we do recognize the urgency and importance of doing something now, the next hardest part is taking the very first steps to actually do it. Think about how hard it was to pray together as a couple while you were even dating for the very first time. Remember how awkward it was the first time you read the Bible together. Remember how difficult it was the first time you led your family in worship. But you got over it, and you can do it now with ease. But you have to take the first step. Speaking of first steps, Angela Hartnett writes, Beginnings define a lot of important as well as seemingly unimportant things in our lives. Birth is the literal beginning of it all. And in human culture, a lot of importance is put on the first of many things throughout one's life. The first steps, first words, first day of school, first friend, first kiss, first date, first love, first day of college, undergrad, and grad school alike, first job, and so much more. Whether or not it is acknowledged, first are often the defining point, creating memorable moments in one's life. Looking back at all these first and thinking of how many times you've gone through these over and over again, it seems almost foolish to think of when it was brand new, just how scary and nerve-wracking it originally was to you. The first day of school that you can remember and thinking of making your first friends seem so distant at this point, and to try and imagine the emotions and thoughts you experience when it was the first is almost unimaginable. How could you have been so silly and scared? Your first kiss is an embarrassment, unaware of what to do, how long it was supposed to last, and once it happened, was it supposed to feel uncomfortable and awkward? Would it be this way forever? The answer is no, it wouldn't. But when you first started out, it was messy and embarrassing. To think back to this time when it seemed that this would be the end of the world and you just never learned to kiss like a normal human being is laughable to you now. Your first date was even worse. What to wear, how to act, what to talk about, all the while trying to impress the other while somewhat being yourself. It was overwhelming and too much to think about all at once while trying to muster up the courage and convince yourself that this wouldn't be a total disaster seemed almost impossible. Another first tackled, and while the nerves of a first date may still arise, it's nothing like the very first one. And now, growing into your own skin and how to impress one while being true to yourself comes more natural rather than forced. The first day of college was the most dreaded. How different it would be than high school, leaving your friends, trying to make new ones. What even is time management? And how do I maintain doing my schoolwork while possibly attempting to have a social life? This was a big one. But again, the first is over and you've made it through. So many firsts have come and gone, and yet there are so many more to experience. The first step is always the hardest and most nerve-wracking no matter what it is you're setting out to do. And yet once it's over, that's it. You've got it down. So while the first step may be the hardest, it is also the most important in doing anything in this life. Whether it was good or bad, you'll have plenty of time to keep trying, and it will never be as hard as it was the first time around. My friends, take the first step towards spiritual maturity. That first step is the hardest, but if you recognize the importance and urgency for you to develop an intimate, close walk with Jesus, it will overcome your lack of motivation 
not to set aside time for the Lord every day. It will help you overcome your laziness to come together for corporate worship. It will help you overcome your excuses for why you can't prioritize God in your life. When you understand the urgency and the importance, recognizing that countless lives are still eternally lost, then it will help you find motivation to do the work of the Great Commission. Remember, you and I don't live for the approval of man, but Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 reminds us that we live for the approval of God alone. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, for do I now persuade man or God, or do I seek to please man? For if I still please man, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And it is His approval, God's approval, not man's, that should make us realize the importance and urgency to spiritually mature, overcoming our natural lack of motivation to put in the time and effort to know Christ and to know Him well. Now turn with me to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4 says this, The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. This proverb tells us that a lazy man may have a desire to achieve something or to do something, but he is not willing to work to get it because he believes he is self-sufficient and has convinced himself it is okay not to have what he may so desire. His self-sufficiency is an excuse for his laziness. He has convinced himself that he knows enough so he won't put in the effort and time to study and learn and get advice. He is content in his mediocrity, justifying his own laziness. And the only way to overcome this lazy thought is to identify and address our inadequacies. For example, if a coveted high-paying job requires you to speak and understand Chinese, you can choose to do nothing and not get that job. Or you can identify the fact that you're lacking in this language skill set and take classes or self-learn to gain this language skill for you to then land this high-paying job. That's why for a lot of young people like myself, growing up forced to take Chinese classes, I didn't learn a thing because I thought to myself while living in the U.S., I will never need to learn Chinese. But now living in Asia, I realize I'm inadequate in this area of my life and took steps to learn a bit of conversational Chinese. So it is with Christians who feel like their good life now is good enough to merit a commendation for the Lord when you meet Him face to face at the end of your life. But can you really tell the Lord proudly that you've done your best to live for Him? Or perhaps, after a time of self-reflection, you will quickly realize that you are lacking and inadequate as a spouse, child, parent, employer, employee, friend, and as a Christian witness to the world for which you have to answer to the Lord for all of these things. And so you address today what you realize are areas of spiritual and character deficiencies so that when you do meet the Lord, He will be well pleased with the way you have lived your life. My friends, you and I should not be content and satisfied with how we live our lives for Jesus Christ unless we are truly faithful to His call and are willing to suffer for His cause. Ask yourself the question, am I satisfied with my spiritual life today or is God satisfied with how I've lived my life? Because whose satisfaction do we live for? 
Of course, God's. And if so, then I think all of us need to stop being so lazy with our spiritual walk and disciplines and begin to address our spiritual inadequacies. Our singular goal and motivation should be that our Lord Jesus is pleased with the way we live our lives in accordance with the Scriptures. And this is our fourth biblical principle, overcoming laziness, number four. We overcome a feeling of sufficiency by identifying and addressing our inadequacies. We overcome a feeling of sufficiency by identifying and addressing our inadequacies. My friends, are you truly satisfied with the way you have lived your life? Compare your life to what God expects of you as He is recorded in the Scriptures and be motivated to live your life for Him, making an impact in this world for Christ with a divine purpose. Now let me end with this story. Once there was a very lazy man who would always look for an easier way to feed himself without working. One day, while he was searching for something to eat, he saw a fruit farm. He looked around and didn't see anyone guarding the fruits on the tree, so he quickly decided to steal some fruits. But as soon as he walked into the farm and started to climb the tree, the farmer saw him and started coming at him to catch him. The lazy man saw the farmer coming at him with a stick. He got afraid and ran towards the forest nearby and went inside to hide. While in the forest, he saw a fox with only two legs crawling on them happily. The lazy man thought, how can this fox stay alive in such condition? The fox can't run. How is he able to feed himself or stay alive from the threat of other animals? Suddenly, he saw a lion coming towards the fox with a piece of meat already in his mouth. All of the animals ran away, and the lazy man climbed up on a tree to save himself, but the fox stayed there. He didn't have the ability to run with only two legs. But what happened next surprised the lazy man. The lion left a piece of meat which was in his mouth for the fox. The lazy man felt happiness seeing this. He was reminded that God always has a plan to take care of what he has created. And if God can take care of that fox, for sure he would take care of the lazy man. So he left the forest and sat down along the road, waiting for someone to feed him as well. As time passed, he kept waiting for his food. He waited for two whole days without any food. Finally, he couldn't bear the hunger anymore and left, angry at God. Along the way, he met an old wise man and told him everything that happened. The wise man first gave him some food and water. After devouring the food, the lazy man asked the sage, O wise one, why did God show his mercy to that crippled fox? But why was he so cruel to me? The old wise man with a smile said, It's true that our Creator has a plan for everything. You are obviously a part of God's plan. But son, you took what you saw in the wrong way. He didn't want you to see yourself like the fox. He wanted you to be like the lion. God made you healthy and strong so that you can work hard and help others. My friends, I hope you see my point. God doesn't call you to be lazy and slothful. He has blessed you with talents and abilities, time and strength, resources and knowledge, all to be used to glorify Him and bless others. So remember, number one, our laziness often comes from our excuses, lack of motivation, and feeling of sufficiency. But number two, we overcome our excuses by understanding the personal consequences of an action. Number three, 
we overcome a lack of motivation by recognizing the importance and urgency of doing it now. Number four, we overcome a feeling of sufficiency by identifying and addressing our inadequacies. My friends, what gets you out of bed in the mornings? What gets you excited to start a new day, a new week, a new month, a new year? What gets you motivated to truly live out this life with purpose? I pray it will come from a deep desire to glorify God, to live for Christ, and to make an impact for Him in this world, so that when we see Him face to face and give an account of our lives in heaven, which we all have to do, He will be so proud of us and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these wonderful reminders and challenges. All too often, we live lazy lives. We don't find the motivation and the purpose to live this life for you. May the understanding that there's an urgency and importance to live this life now for you be the motivation for us to get us out of bed, to do the work of the Great Commission, to be a living witness and a testimony of your love for this world. I pray, Lord, that we would find purpose to do what you've called us to do, to not live lazy lives, but to live lives of productivity and purpose so that one day when we see you, you will be well proud of us. We will earn those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Father, challenge us today. Bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.